Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And is it just me or did this episode go by a lot faster than the last episode? It didn't feel like a full 43 minutes, that's for sure. Um, Which I'm going to take as a good thing. Yeah, yeah, no. These sometimes feel like they can drag a lot, but this one just really was like bam, 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 over. Yeah, just zipped by. Zip, zip, zip. I think it's because we weren't dealing with as many plot lines as we normally are. It was more of a unified story. Okay, but I would expect that to feel longer. Mm. Also, I would expect, since the unified story is all about Hook, that I would be looking at my watch every other second. Yes, we're talking about Season 7, Episode 7, Eloise Gardner. Yes, we finally find Eloise. She is not at the plaza, as you suggested last week. Uh, We open with a reminder that regina got all of her memories back last episode and that there's something that happened that's stopping her from breaking the curse like she knows that if she breaks the curse something bad is going to happen also in hyperion heights hook detective rogers has been looking for a missing girl for the last 10 years named eloise gardner as a reminder this is not hook classic but rather wish first hook Okay, so the show reminds us of that too. The previously on show us Hook meeting old drunk Hook. Old fat drunk Hook. Yes. And then we see that there was magic done that made Hook young again. Old fat drunk Hook. Yes. So that we know that that Hook is the Hook in Hyperion Heights. But because of the way the show is structured, and I guess I'm just jumping right into it now. Mm-hmm. We open on the Wishverse many years ago, but I was thinking that this was the Wishverse immediately after the previously on we had just seen where Hook became young Hook again. So it's actually young, old, fat, drunk Hook. But I was thinking it was old, fat, drunk Hook, youthant. And I was like, wait. What is happening? Where are we? I actually, I'm embarrassed because it's our job to tell people what's going on. And I had to pause and be like, Max, what is happening? Who are these people? What is time? Yeah, I was kind of surprised how confused you were at the beginning of this episode. That's why I was confused. Uh, So we Wait, does my confusion make sense now that I've explained why I was confused? I mean, I I guess the the episode literally, uh, the episode opens with the Wish Realm many years ago. But many years ago is how they've been chironing the flashbacks all season. True. But theoretically, the fairy tale stuff hasn't been taking place in the Wish Realm. I don't know. I wasn't thrown by it. This is uh, old fat drunk hook back when he was young, fit, still drunk hook. Yes. Also, I do have to say the tip off for me, I think, was supposed to be how much more B eyelinered he is hmm. in this flashback than he is now. Also, so... Also, Sami is there. Oh, I was going to say, also, so the Wishverse has its own, like, history now. That's the other thing. So apparently the Wishverse didn't come into existence when the Wish was made. It always existed. 
or I guess once the wish was made, it always had existed. Yeah. It's weird that the Wishverse has this alternate history, considering it was created, you know, for the sole purpose of trapping Emma in some weird princess infantilization scenario. It is weird. So that's how the episode opens, by the way, in the Wishverse. So when the Evil Queen wished for the Wishverse to exist, she included a subclause that hook was going to have this weird dramatic backstory where he has a baby with mother gothel spoiler alert for later in the episode okay so we know regina's not great at constructing alternate realities so i think all she did was wish for herself to be defeated which is weird right She wished for herself to have been defeated. I think it was vaguer than that. I think she just wished for Emma to be stuck in a happy realm. Right, but I mean, like, what, how much of it was in her brain when she did that? So, I mean, was it if Emma grew up as a princess? Like... Is it a vengeance demon thing, too? Like, I know there's a thing with vengeance demons where uh, if... The wish is simple enough, they just alter their reality around them. If it's too complicated, you get shunted into an alternate reality. And by the way, when you say vengeance demon, just for our listeners, you mean vengeance demons from Buffy, not the actual vengeance demons that exist in the world? Yes. Or justice demons, as they prefer to be called. Of course. So this could have just been bringing Emma to an alternate universe that was enough like what the evil queen wished for. I guess. See, I was going to compare it to, like, Sims, where... There are the things you control, but stuff keeps happening while you're controlling the characters you're controlling. So, you know, she said it so that Emma is a spoiled princess. Meanwhile, that created all of these ripples, and Hook, with his pesky free will, went off and impregnated Mother Gothel. Hmm. This is the thing they don't tell you about free will. It will cause you to go off willy-nilly and impregnate Mother Gothel? Yes. Fair enough. So we're also stuck in a weird thing, I guess, in this universe. Korra still hired Hook. Or no, no. The Evil Queen still hired Hook to kill Korra. And like he was under her employ. So he found out about the Dark Curse. Yeah, because he knows that if he does her bidding so that she can cast the curse. Once she casts the curse... Rumpelstiltskin will be helpless, and he'll be able to get his revenge. That that all tracks fine for me. Okay, so this timeline is basically taking place... Well, we know when this timeline is taking place. It takes place directly after the musical episode. But everybody had their memories of the musical episode erased. Yes. We think. I mean, yeah? Alright, so Hook's getting ready, although not with Korra. He was with Korra when he thought the curse was going to launch last time, but I guess now he's not. Yeah. So he's talking to Smee, informing him that the uh, evil queen is getting ready to cast her dark curse, and then blah blah blah, Rumpelstiltskin, blah blah, revenge. And Smee's like, dude, I, I, I signed up for this, so fine, whatever. You need to understand that I'm not as committed to this as you are. You need to understand that. Right, for Smee, this is just a paycheck. He's not invested in the revenge. And then Regina shows up. The evil queen shows up and is like, slight snag. Okay, the weird thing about this is this is the 
evil queen who is native to the Wishverse. Right, but not the evil queen we've been referring to as the Wishverse evil queen, because that's actually the real world Regina's duplicate who was banished to the Wishverse. We don't actually know the fate of this queen. Yeah, so that's a thing. Right? You know what, Max? Yeah. I love this show. (laughs) So the evil queen shows up and she's like, hey, so... Uh, Snow White and Prince Charming did something that I'm assuming wasn't musical related and stole my magic. Oh my god, is that what the- is that where things changed in the Wishverse? At the- like, in an alternate reality like the Wishverse, the way that it's constructed narratively usually is there's just one thing that's different and then everything branches out from there- here, the one thing that was different is instead of doing the stupid song in your heart wish, instead of wishing that Emma had a song in her heart, Mary Margaret just wished that Regina didn't have powers anymore and was like, oh, God, that just fixed everything. Oh, see, my assumption was that uh, she managed to pull off the whole song in your heart thing better and it left Regina powerless. Because remember when they were singing at her and she couldn't use her magic? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That episode. But that is the information that the evil queen imparts to Hook. She no longer has her magic. But she still has a plan. She's got a map that will lead them to a tower in a distant land that will give them the power to blah, 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 revenge. Right. Well, she needs Hook to take her. She needs Hook to give her passage. And the. And what's her plan? She just wants to get away at this point. Oh, okay, okay. She needs a ship to take her away from the Enchanted Forest before Snow finds her and locks her up forever. So, as payment, she's bringing him a map to a distant realm that'll lead him to a tower where there's a magic thingamabobber that'll help him get revenge, and then she'll use him. Once he gets his revenge, then he can help her get her revenge, and it's all a revenge sandwich. Can I be honest? I'm a little disappointed that her plan is just to get away and not, like, to kill the Charmings. Like, nothing shows how much she's defeated more than the fact that her plan is just to escape at this point. But you know what? Her hair looks great. Her hair looks great. And honestly, her outfit looks great. And possibly spoilers for what happens to Wish vs. Regina has a real pirate queen feel to it. Yeah, it does. So, I mean, she can't kill them. Presumably the same things happened with Wish vs. Regina where she, you know, stabbed Snow with that magic dagger that made her unable to kill Snow or Charming. Uh Uh-huh. So she can't just be like, hey, I need your help. To get a flamethrower. Right, I know. Although, how awesome would that be? It's the same scene from the beginning, you know, of the show where she bursts in on the wedding, except instead of magic, it's just flamethrower. I'm imagining the sequence where Buffy kills the judge. (laughs) Times change. (laughs) Hook wants to know what the catch is for getting this magic flower, because of course magic always comes with a price. And Regina is very upfront. She's like, ah, the cost is you will almost certainly die getting it. And I don't have any magic to save your ass. Yeah. She's like, look, there's a magic flower that'll help me, you, revenge, etc. But you're going to need to get past a witch and I can't help you out because I don't have magic. Basically. 
Back in Hyperion Heights, Officer Hook is investigating the murder of his one lead in the missing girl case. Guy with the sigil tattoo. Yes. Last week, I wasn't convinced that guy was really dead, but now it is. It is him. He is. It, it both is him and he is really dead. This is such a poorly lit crime scene. I think it's supposed to look like a thriller. It's like all lit in blues, hmm. which is like a style choice. I'm not a fan of it, but it was a choice. Weaver shows up and is irritated that Hook is off doing work without him. Dude, you were, like, shot and in a hospital, and also you're Rumpelstiltskin and you know it. Why do you care about this? Also, was Hook just supposed to sit around and do nothing while you were on PTO? Like, that makes no sense. I think he's honked off because this is related to Hook's cold case, but even that doesn't make a ton of sense. Well, I mean, the reason he's irritated is because Victoria, who, remember, is also awake, knows that... I mean, we're going to go ahead and say what happens at the end of this episode. This missing girl, Eloise Gardner, is actually Mother Gothel. And so she doesn't want Hook looking for this missing girl because it's the evil witch in the tower. And she definitely doesn't want him freeing her like some sort of ring girl crawling out of the well. Mm. I just want to say, at this point, the only people who are still under the curse are Hook, Henry, uh, Jacinda, and Sabine. There are four people who are currently under the curse. Uh, Lucy's still under the curse. Lucy knows the truth because she read the book. She's not awake. Oh, you're right. Lucy. Yeah. Huh. I do like how quickly everyone is learning what the deal actually is. I do too. Like, waiting for everyone to wake up and having, like, misunderstandings is exhausting. I I also like the way that they're doing it this season where it's not just a big thing. It's one by one, each of the characters is waking up. Instead of, like, the wave of true love's kiss. Honestly, at the rate we're going, by the time Henry and Jacinda actually start, like, making out, everyone's going to be awake. And they're all going to be like, yeah, we know. Whatever. Awkward. Won't it be funny if they're the only two who don't know, and everyone's trying to keep them from having true love's kiss? I know this is something we probably discussed earlier, but this neighborhood in seattle didn't exist before right right okay because otherwise the weird subtext about gentrification wouldn't really work if because the fairy tale characters are the gentrifiers yeah if you know everyone who was living in this part of seattle was pushed out to make way for the fairy tale people yeah well i actually have to say this makes a lot more sense since you and i went to seattle because seattle's so much more spread out than portland is Portland is also divided into neighborhoods, but it's all so closely packed because of the uh, urban growth boundary that a neighborhood couldn't pop up without people noticing. But Seattle's spread out enough that a neighborhood could pop up magically. Mm. So it makes more sense. Also, as long as we're on the subject, there's some more Trollbridge stuff in this episode, and I am now convinced they made a replica of the troll. Yeah, because it's so separate from the area where the troll bridge actually is in seattle but it's so it's such a perfect recreation i was looking for any evidence in the troll itself that it was not the same sculpture and i couldn't find any so other than the fact that it's clearly not in the same place i mean good job i guess good job on that recreation i hope they paid whoever uh you know made it in the first place it's such a distinctive piece of art If only one of us had thought to take a picture of the plaque so that we would know the name of the artist. 
The Fremont Troll was designed and built by Steve Bandinus, Will Martin, Donna Walter, and Ross Whitehead, with help from the community. Hmm. The Fremont Arts Council sponsored the project. So, the Fremont Arts Council probably holds the copyright to the troll. A lot of people worked on that troll, and you owe it to memorize every one of their names. Yeah, so go back and listen to this again and take note of who created the Fremont Troll. Presumably this is a different troll, because this neighborhood is definitely not Fremont. It's the Hyperion Heights Troll. Hmm. I think Fremont would be honked off about that. I guess no one goes to Hyperion Heights, though. Right. Well, until it gets gentrified. And then they're like, uh, Hyperion Heights had to have their own troll. We're getting way off track here. (laughs) Yes. Hook tells Weaver that, you know what, fuck it. He is going to find this missing girl no matter what, even though Victoria Belfry clearly doesn't want him to. And then we smash cut to Ronnie at her bar. Regina at Ronnie's bar. Yeah. Are we just dropping Ronnie entirely? Because it does not seem like Regina has retained any of Ronnie. We are dropping Ronnie entirely. I mean, maybe not. We'll see. But I'm glad you brought that up because her outfit is perfect and terrible. Well... It is Regina trying to dress like Ronnie. Oh, I was thinking of the, I was thinking it was the opposite. I was thinking it was Regina trying to dress like Regina, but the only clothes she had available were what was in Ronnie's closet. Oh. So she's wearing a shirt with sleeves because normally she wears uh, tank tops, Mm. but she's wearing a shirt with sleeves, but it's still like a funky pattern, but it has a little cutout in the back, which is very Regina. And then she has this handkerchief, which is also clearly Ronnie's because it's got like skulls on it, but she's tied it around her neck like an ascot. And also she's wearing very high-waisted jeans, which is definitely a Regina thing. Not the jeans, but a high-waisted pant. So yeah, it's actually kind of perfect. This is perfect costuming. It's a really good synthesis of the two looks. Although, it really seems like Regina has completely subsumed Ronnie's personality. It's a real Belle and Lacey situation, for sure. Yeah. So, Ronnie, now Regina, is at her bar. When Henry and Jacinda come in, all, like, happy and giggly because they're working on their truck and they're all in love. Yes, they're romantic now. Jacinda mentions that she doesn't know how long it's going to be before she starts pulling a paycheck from that food truck because, you know, businesses. You made like 400 bucks doing like three hours of those. uh... I mean, that's true. But businesses, especially food based businesses, they take a long time to break even. Mm -hmm. But Regina offers to give Jacinda shifts at the bar so she can work there and and have a paycheck coming in. As you will remember, she was very, very fired for Mr. Clucks when she, you know... Burned it down? Yes. There's a really... I actually really like this moment where Regina tells her that she actually needs help around the bar because business has picked up so much since she turned down Victoria's offer. And then the camera, like, switches to a wide shot and you can see that there are not that many people there. The bar also seems kind of bigger. You can actually see someone working in a kitchen on the side in one shot. It's weird. Yeah, there's definitely someone making food somewhere. And at a later point, Jacinda's going to say that somebody called in sick, even though prior to this moment, we've only ever seen Ronnie working at the bar. Seriously. So 
Henry has got Jacinda tickets to his favorite 80s cover band, Spicoli. Oh my god, what a fucking hipster thing to do. Is their whole relationship based on 80s nostalgia? Yeah, I think so. He had the Say Anything, uh... Yeah, he did the Say Anything thing last week, and now he's got Spicoli. It's, yeah, it's 80s references all the way down. Henry, it's all about the 90s references these days. It's true. Honestly, Henry's a little young to be making 80s references. He really should be making 90s references. It should all be like, hey, let's go see Friends the parody musical at the Neptune. And then Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Ivy comes into the bar and sees Jacinda and Henry getting all chummy, and she does not like that because, you know, once they kiss, her curse is over. So she goes over to Regina to make sure that Regina is... You know, doing her cock blocker best. I do love how the people who everyone is assuming can break the curse aren't actually the people who she cursed intentionally. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? Nobody loves Victoria. Yes, no one loves Victoria. Sad for her. Speaking of nobody loving Victoria. Oh my god, I love Lucy in this scene. Lucy is fucking destroying her. Did you really think I wouldn't find out that you've been sneaking out, running around town? I didn't care whether you found out or not. You will care. Because you can go downstairs to your room. You're grounded. (sighs) Punish me all you want now. It won't matter. After my mom and dad break the curse, we'll be together. And you? We'll be all alone. Like, fucking damn, Lucy. I know, I love Lucy's like, whatever, this is all gonna be retconned. God, can you imagine how people would react if, like, things just perpetually got reset every once in a while? Uh, comic book universes must be full of assholes who are all like, whatever. I mean, honestly, I feel like that explains a lot about what goes down in comics. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, if I lived in the DCU, I would probably be a much bigger dick in my day-to-day life. It doesn't matter. The universe gets reset every six months or so. Nothing matters. So, Victoria is so upset by Lucy calling her on her bullshit that she storms upstairs to go fuck with Mother Gothel. Yep, she brings her some tea so that she can bitch about Lucy and taunt Mother Gothel. You know, just to let off some steam. We get some more hints about the fact that Victoria was definitely Rapunzel. She's like, if there's anything I learned from you, it's how to break a heart. What does that have to do with Rapunzel? Well, just that this woman is clearly Mother Gothel and, you know, who was the one person. Got it. Uh, as, As she's storming out, Victoria notices a speck of dirt on the ground The dirt that you'll remember last week, Mother Gothel grew the belief leaves in. Mm Mm-hmm. The beliefs. The beliefs. Yes. And she freaks out because she's like, who the hell tracked in dirt? Who has been up here visiting you? And Mother Gothel's like, maybe you should get your little Cinderella to come here and, you know, sweep up after you because that, you know, you probably tracked that in. And Victoria's like, I know it wasn't me. Ugh, why is everything terrible? Um... Now, we've been calling her Mother Gothel, and this episode will confirm that we are correct. This is Mother Gothel. Uh, you should pick up that phone. Because we fucking called it! To be fair, we already knew Victoria was Rapunzel, so it wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't that huge a leap in logic. Oh, but I do want to let our listeners know, our listeners who only listen to us and don't watch along, that 
she's not old. She is still young looking, which makes sense because Mother Gothel in Tangled especially, you know, wanted Rapunzel so that she could have, like, the eternal youth from her hair. Mm-hmm. I just want to make it clear that she looks like a 20-year-old person and not a, you know, 50 or 60 or 70-year-old person. Yes, she is a very attractive 20-year-old with gray hair. With long gray hair. So clearly the show has been giving the viewers the idea that she was Rapunzel for this whole time. Mm. So Hook is having a freak out because, you know, he hasn't really made any movement in the case. In fact, he's made anti-movement because his one lead is now dead. Although... God, calling that guy a lead is such a stretch. Right? I know. Like, he has a tattoo that is a sigil that matches a sigil that was drawn in a notebook a decade before this guy presumably got his tattoo. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a lot of mystical symbols out there that people are probably drawing and tattooing on themselves all the time. When I used to work at the theater and I saw a guy wearing a triquatra necklace, I wasn't like... Oh my god, you must be one of the charmed ones. Right? Uh, I remember that he had one because uh, he's like, I'll tip you 20 bucks if you can tell me what the symbol is. And I was like, Triquatra. And he was very impressed, so clearly he wasn't familiar with charmed. I'm very glad that, number one, this guy was an asshole who did shit like that and that you got money from him because assholes like that deserve to have money gotten from them. And also that you got the money not by being an insufferable guy like that. But from terrible, trashy television, that is so on brand for you. Yeah. If anyone ever tells you that watching trashy television doesn't pay off, I've got 20 bucks that say otherwise. Yeah. Although I suppose I could have, you know, spent that time learning a skill that I could have leveraged into more than 20 bucks. Yeah. Eh. Money eh. can buy goods and or services. So Hook is going over all of his case notes, trying to figure out something that he missed. And Henry shows up and sits down with him and says, hey, I don't want to be a downer, but this girl's dead, right? I mean, she's certainly dead by now. Yeah, like, she's been a missing person for a really long time. There's been no leads at all. This really isn't looking like the sort of thing that doesn't end with a corpse. Also, why are you just looking in Seattle? You Oh, like, well, he only has jurisdiction in Seattle, so... It's just, why would he... I, I know If it's... he ever finds any evidence that she was taken across state lines, then he'll call in... The feds. Yeah, and that's when... Uh... But that would mean that he'd have to find evidence, period. Right, right. That's why Dale Cooper from the FBI is involved in the laura palmer case because because her friend who was kidnapped stumbled across state lines into uh i think she into into washington state i think Mm -hmm. into washington state so they had so all of a sudden the feds had jurisdiction and the sheriff of twin peaks was more than happy to call in the feds because he knew that he was in way over his head doesn't that happen in the is that the second season where they're happy that they get to call him again because Oh no no that's in that's in the pilot of Twin Peaks that's why Dale Cooper's there. Ah. I thought that the second case that they have to deal with in Twin Peaks had a similar thing happen and they're, and they're like cool we can just call Dale and we don't have to deal with this ourselves. Um well in the second season of Twin Peaks Dale Cooper still hasn't left Twin Peaks by the time the second season rolls around. Um unless you mean the reboot which I don't know because I haven't watched. Uh, I meant the second season. I don't know about the reboot. Oh, yeah, no, Dale Cooper's still in town. Side note, 
You know what's really weird? What? When you're into pop culture, you can forget that there are people who aren't. Like, there are people who don't watch television and who don't use pop culture as references for everything. They don't, like, speak in Simpsons quotes. Mm -hmm. At work, somebody mentioned Kyle MacLachlan and a co-worker was like, oh, who's that? Which, okay, first of all, I'm by itself, okay. And then when I was listing things that he had been in, she had never heard of Twin Peaks. That's so bizarre to think about. Isn't that weird? And this isn't like a, oh, young people these days thing. She's far older than I am. She was like at peak television watching age when Twin Peaks was originally airing. It's bizarre. There's this view of pop culture that's really negative, but pop culture is still culture. It's still important for cultural literacy. It's stuff I was thinking about uh, back when I was in college and I got really into, uh, I got really into Dante's Inferno. Sure. Not the rest of the Divine Comedy because who cares about heaven or purgatory? But I mean, so... Are, are you going to bring up that basically the entire thing is just Dante's burn book? No pun intended. Uh, excuse me. It's not Dante's burn book. It is Dante's self-insert revenge fanfic. Okay, but not fanfic. Revenge. Real fic. Friendfic. Yes. But no, it's also him meeting, you know, historical figures who are dead who tell him how awesome he is. That's true. That's true. There is that element as well. But... The thing is, I had a book about, you know, Inferno, and I had a second book that was explaining all of the references that were in Inferno that were references to other things in pop culture at the time. This is not a new thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I The language of pop culture has been a thread through civilization for, you know, as long as people were, I mean, to sound highfalutin about it, like, scratching on caves. Like, that's always been a thing. So, to act like it's somehow beneath you when it predates you by, um, the entire span of humanity is a little full of yourself. Whenever people get on their high horse, like, I know I tend to be a scotch pretentious, but whenever anyone's getting pretentious about, you know... The sad state of media these days, I just always go to, there are your mama jokes in Shakespeare. Well, it's basically just a bunch of fart jokes. Your mama and fart jokes all the way down. Again, not to go back to Inferno, Inferno literally has a bit where a bunch of demons come up and play the butt trumpets at Dante and uh, Virgil. Well... That literally happens in Inferno. We should get back to Once Upon a Time. Oh, right. Okay. So Hook is so fucking creepy, right? Because Henry's like, what if she's dead? You know, because she's probably dead. And Hook is like, no, when you investigate someone for like a really long time, you form a bond with them. You just like... No. You get in their head, and I would know if she was dead. And huh. Henry's like, okay, creepy. Right? How creepy is that? I mean, I guess in context it's less creepy, but dude, calm down. Just just calm down. Speaking of people who need to calm down, we cut to Hook and Smee outside of the tower. Hey, it's a non-wrecked version of the tower we saw last episode. Yeah, it is. 
Well, except not because they weren't in the Wishverse last episode. Oh, right. Or did they have to sail out of the Wishverse to get to this place? Maybe. Who? Who? Who even knows? But yeah, it's a tower. And you'll recall that when Hook told the story of his missing daughter, like, a million episodes ago, so maybe you won't recall, Hook mentioned that a queen had locked her in a tower and that she was imprisoned there. So just letting you know what we know so far about Hook's daughter. She was mystically imprisoned. Yes. In a magic tower. It's once upon a time we can assume mystically and magically are adjectives in front of everything that happens. Mm. I guess it could have been a regular tower. I mean, I guess, but... So Hook climbs up the tower because even though the person in there is magically imprisoned... There's still not a front door, which seems like just a giant fuck you to anyone visiting the tower. Hey, learn how to teleport or get off the pod. I guess. So, Hook gets up there, and Max, do you remember an old segment that we had that was, who is Mr. Gold? Yes. Um, addendum, guess who else Hook is? Okay, in this story, Hook is also Flynn Rider. Oh my god. Although Hook is neither Flynn Rider, nor is he even Zachary Levi. Oh, I thought you were going to say, nor is he even Eugene. Yeah, he is also not Eugene. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Hook gets up to the tower, and there is all of that hair, just like Entangled, except it's real instead of a cartoon so it's way less impressive and honestly a little more creepy hmm. so he immediately tricks uh, he immediately trips over the hair alarm like he trips over a thicket of hair which pulls on a rube goldberg-esque machinery thing made out of pots and pans that clangs to let whoever this person is know that you know there's an intruder Yes, so now this blonde white woman shows up, which I only mention because we met a Rapunzel. A Rapunzel in a previous episode, who was obviously not this Rapunzel, but she was obviously a different take on Rapunzel, whereas this one is just like straight out of Tangled. I was going to say, she looks like a Waterhouse painting. Uh, She does, no doubt helped by the fact that she has flowers in her hair. I mean, I feel like Tangled borrowed pretty heavily from Waterhouse for their designs. Yeah, there's definitely a, like, drowned Ophelia thing going on here with her. She also looks kind of like Discount Elizabeth Moss to me. I can see that. Yeah. So, she's like, hey, so I'm stuck in this tower, and there was a lady there, and, you know, I'm trapped here now. And Hook's like, maybe I can help you out with my dick. And she's like, Mm, no thank you well it's not no thank you it's maybe later so hook tells her that he's there for the magic flowers and she's like oh too bad here are the magic flowers and they're all spent yes the witch grows these flowers in her secret garden but not that kind of secret garden there's not like a little sick girl in it. Was that the plot of of the secret garden no it was a it was a little sick boy Uh. and then Mary, her whole village died, and she was the only one who lived, which is super creepy. Mm. When you find a small girl in that situation where everyone has died except for her, I don't know, maybe don't ship her off to her uncle, but 
that, that's what they did. So she they shipped her off to her uncle, who was all super sad and whose son was like super sick. And then she discovered the secret garden and was like, yay, I love this garden and it makes me happy. And also it turns out that my cousin actually just has moon cousins by proxy and then he can like walk and then everyone's happy. I always get that story confused with Heidi, I think, because there are lots of very similar beats to those two stories. There are very similar beats. I do like, by the way, they made a Broadway musical of Secret Garden, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't get done a lot. You don't see it very often, but... I'm sorry, I went right to the Jenna Maroney uh, Mystic Pizza musical. (laughs) Okay, well, unlike the Jenna Maroney Mystic Pizza musical... The music for the Secret Garden musical is actually really beautiful and haunting, and I actually suggest, I'm sure it's all on YouTube, just going and listening to some of it. It's very lovely. So it's not a pop musical? No, it's not a pop musical. In fact, it sounds, I mean, it it's very appropriate to the story, which is to say it sounds like it was composed by and for haunted Victorian children. Hmm. That, yeah, okay. So... Basically, what this girl is telling him is she's like, look, these flowers are magic as balls, but I only have one in this tower and it's used to imprison me. If you go into the witch's garden and get more of these flowers, then you can use them to rescue me and get your revenge. And he's like, I do like me some revenge. And she's like, but if I tell you where they are, how do I know you'll come back and, you know, rescue me? And he's like, you don't. I do like that because he's like, you, I mean... Are you going to be worse off if you don't tell me? He makes a good point, but I am unable to appreciate the good point that he is making because Colin Donahue is trying to do the sexy Flynn Rider smolder face. Not not something he's super capable of. No, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's not. Anyway. Which is weird because he could smolder back in the day, but I... It's a very specific smolder and... Well, here's the thing. When we first met Hook, he was perfectly smoldery, but not everyone can raise one eyebrow, which is required for the smolder. And I... Should have got the rock in for that one shot. Yeah, I feel like he's trying too hard to raise one eyebrow and it's just ruining everything because he's thinking too hard about what he's doing with his face. So uh, we cut from him getting ready to go into the secret garden to Alice, who is selling watches at the, what would you call it, I guess? The Hyperion the, Troll. The Hyperion Troll. So Hook tells Tilly slash Alice that he's looking for this missing girl and he shows her the notebook and Alice flips through it and is like, yeah, it's every fucking angsty teenage girl everywhere for all time has always had a notebook like this. I, I have nothing for you. Yeah, she's like, if I ha- if you ha- if you're pushing me here, this girl ran away. She definitely ran away. And Hook's like, uh, I talked to a whole bunch of other runaways, and they said they didn't see her. And she's like, Gee, fucking whiz! You mean the the other runaways weren't big on talking to a cop? Shocker. And then Henry's like, Well, he could always just arrest you for trying to sell all these stolen watches. And it's like, Dude, you're not a cop. Sit down. Just take a seat. Take several seats. But this does cause Alice to say, okay, she'll ask around and she'll meet them at the park in two hours. So Victoria is looking at the security cameras to see if she can find out who tracked the dirt in there, although she obviously thinks it's Ivy. But there's, but the security footage has been erased anytime anyone went up to see 
Mother Gothel. I want to point out the thing I brought up before where I said Ivy is using a key card instead of her fingerprint. Mm -hmm. I think that she was doing something to erase the video. Yeah. So uh, Victoria is like, wait a second. Ivy's seen working girl in this timeline. So she goes to her desk and pulls out Ivy's work shoes, which have dirt on them. Oh no, busted. Also, I just want to point out Ivy probably didn't get this from working girl. She probably got it from Devil Wears Prada. Oh, you're right. Unless she's fucking Henry and all of her references are 20 years out of date for some reason. I mean, I feel like that's pretty standard these days. The way technology works, like everyone has references from whenever. I mean, that's fine. It's fine for Henry to reference those things. It's fine for him to know about those things. It just feels less organic and more like the writers were drawing from their own commonly held references instead of thinking what somebody 10 years younger would reference. I mean, let's look at every pop culture reference the kids make on Bob's Burgers. Those are all clearly written by people in their 40s. True. But those kids are weird, so I could also see that happening. I mean, Gene's whole thing with the working girl musical. Oh my god. And his obsession with Die Hard. Yes. Who showed him Die Hard? Not Bob. You don't think Bob would? Remember, Bob was into those cowboy movies. The one where he plays a banjo. It's totally, it's, it's totally different than Die Hard. Hmm. You don't think Bob's a Die Hard guy? No, no, definitely not. Anyway, Victoria's victory is interrupted when Weaver shows up to let her know that Hook just will not drop the fucking Eloise Gardner case. And she's like, well, do your job and make him drop it. And Rumpel's like, Jesus fucking Christ, I have my memories back. I do not have the patience for this, you know, bullshit. Right. Back in the past, Hook and Smee are in the witch's garden. Smee's like, when you said garden, I wasn't expecting it to be so creepy. And Hook's like, I said witch's garden. Right. They knock over a garden gnome as they go in, which really reminded me of the gnome who mocked Regina at the beginning of season one and then got turned into a stone gnome. It doesn't look like this one. It just reminded me of that and I wanted to bring it up. Remember that when she was talking to, uh, when she was talking to that council of assembled evil creatures the brotherhood of evil mutants yeah when they were like really trying for evil creatures in the first episode yes all right so on a completely unrelated side note and bringing back one of our oldest segments miss ginger watch miss ginger god whatever happened to her all right so i don't have answers but the once upon a time wiki had that witch who or the I'm assuming which that lady who had her eyes X'd out at that meeting where Regina turned the evil gnome into a garden gnome. Uh-huh. Uh, they pointed out that that actress was, there's the same actress was in that scene and then in a later scene in Regina's office. And apparently the popular theory is that, you know. That is Miss Ginger? That is Miss Ginger. All right. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. So... I'm going to defer to the Once Upon a Time Wikia here because they are very, very, very dedicated. That seems appropriate, yes. Yes. So Smee and Hook are looking for this flower. And Hook lets Smee know that the way you find the flower is to sing and then the flower glows. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tangled. Yeah, exactly. So they start singing a sea shanty, but that doesn't work. 
that just pisses off the gnome, which turns into a giant evil garden gnome. Yeah, the gnome grows until it's like, I don't know, how big is that? Very 40 large. Feet, yeah. 40 feet tall? Yeah, the gnome grows until it's like 40 feet tall and then starts like racing after them and attacking them with his giant stone shovel. It's honestly kind of amazing. We've mentioned how this show is great when it leans into horror tropes. And there is a horror trope right before the gnome grows where you see its head like slowly turning and it makes like the creaky sound. And then it grows giant and it honestly just becomes like one of those terrible comedic horror movies and it still works. I literally think this was the plot of a Goosebumps book. I know for a fact that it was. (laughs) So Smee's like, sing more! Then the flower will glow and you can find it and we can get out of here. So Hook starts singing. It's not that one song, you know. Uh, when I was just a little girl, my mother said to me. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a song about lost love. Yeah. And the flower does start glowing. And Hook runs to it and somehow plucking it, like, stops the gnome from attacking. If you successfully steal what you're after, then the traps that are meant to stop you will just automatically be destroyed i guess right the gnome like crumbles to dust when he plucks the flower but okay whatever wouldn't you want the gnome to murder whoever plucked the flower i guess not so smee's like what the fuck was that that wasn't a sea shanty how do you know songs that aren't sea shanties you're a pirate as you like to remind everyone all the time and hook tells him that that was a song that his mother used to sing to him and his brother before she died but then she died, and his asshole of a father sold them into sea slavery. And here we are. And Smee's like, I will keep your secret. Which, okay, thanks, I guess. I don't think Hook's been particularly non-forthcoming with his backstory. I know, right? This isn't a Spike and his mom thing. Which, I do like that Spike kept that a secret, but as soon as he told one person, he started bringing it up all the time. That is totally how secrets work. Also, Spike 100% should have kept that secret because it's totally creepy. It is super fucked up. Also, like, let's be honest, the real reason Spike kept that secret is because he didn't want everyone to know that he stole his backstory from Anne Rice. I mean, that's just embarrassing. Was that, did that happen in an Anne Rice story? Oh my god, that's totally Lestat's relationship with his mother. Oh, I'm not super familiar with Anne Rice's writing. Oh, yes, yes. Lestat also had a weird relationship with his mother, who he also turned into a vampire. I know she did this weird S&M Cinderella story, because you remember Yahtzee she, Crenshaw? I don't know if she did a weird S&M Cinderella story, in addition to the weird S&M Sleeping Beauty story that she did, or if you're, uh... Conflating the two? Yeah. No, no, th- this one was definitely Cinderella. Okay. Yeah. Do you know Yahtzee Crenshaw? No. I, I, I followed him many, many, many years ago on the internet. He was this guy who did like these very short, punchy video game and horror movie reviews. And he also did one of the Anne Rice book where he's he's trying to explain it. And he's like, I don't know. It's like she goes to the ball and then the prince spanks her in front of everyone. And then everyone spanks her. And then she gets sold to someone, and that guy spanks her, and then he starts having people pay him to let other people spank her, and it's all just, it just keeps going like this. You know, Anne Rice would get so much more mockery if Stephanie Meyer didn't show up to nicely take the heat off of her. Yeah, that accurate. 
I think it just goes to show that every generation mocks the vampires of the next generation, you know? Because, like, people who are mocking Twilight, interview with a vampire is not better. Just like we're talking about with pop culture, you know? It's not (laughs) any superior. And honestly, Dracula is not superior to interview with a vampire. Oh, I thought you were going to go Orlock. I, that's its own weird copyright sidestepping thing. Camilla is superior to all other vampires, though. Yeah. So, so I, oh, do, more diversion or are we back on Once Upon a Time? Uh, I was going to go on a slight new diversion. A lot of people are really upset that they're acting like he's been cast, but apparently it's just Robert Pattinson is on the short list to play Batman. That's great! Yeah, they're all mad because he was in Twilight, like, what, 20 years ago at this point? Also, like, calm down. Everyone, uh, fan culture is so entitled right now. Everyone needs to calm down, I say, as we record our, like, 10,000th hour of complaining about Once Upon a Time. But we're occasionally nice, so it's we okay. We complain because we love. We complain because we know you can do better. We're not angry. We're just disappointed. But I think Robert Pattinson would do a perfectly fine job playing Batman. I think he'd be great as Batman. Like, a lot of people, I've mostly been seeing this through, you know how when you become aware of people being angry about something because other people are posting counter snark to it? Yes, yes. I first found out about it when someone posted, okay, but when are they going to announce Kirsten Stewart as Robin? And I was like, that's great. I liked it. And then I found out that it had context to it. Okay, I actually saw someone post a picture of Kristen Stewart and suggest that Kristen Stewart would be an amazing Joker. And I am on board for that. She couldn't be worse than Jared Leto. I feel like you're damning with faint praise. She would be so much better than Jared Leto. So I might be borrowing this from something I write about Suicide Squad, but... uh, Oh, Kristen Stewart is Duala Dent. (gasps) Yes. That would be very cool. Uh, Actually, yeah, actually that might be better even than the Joker. Oh. But I I think this might have been something I read, but someone was like, it's amazing... That Jared Leto went, you know, he went deep method with this. Like he was sending people used condoms and dead rats and stuff. And that is the performance he ended up with. I mean, to be fair, I didn't watch Suicide Squad because it looked terrible. How can a movie be terrible if they made three completely different cuts from three completely different production companies? Oh my god. Honestly, I was so, so obsessed with Harley Quinn back in, you know, the 90s slash 2000s. If you told me back then, if you told little teenage me that there was going to be a Suicide Squad movie starring Harley Quinn and I was going to actively avoid it, I would say that you were mad. Of course, I've, I've heard that Margot Robbie is by far the high point in that movie. I'm sure she is. Looking at pictures of her as Harley has definitely been the high point of the ads for it. I'm I'm okay, actually, with her doing her solo Harley Quinn movie. I think that'll be great. I will watch that. Well, uh, the Birds of Prey movie that she's coming out with relatively shortly, it, it's going to have Cassandra Kane in it. And I'm like, wow, that's... I mean, she's not a, like, super deep cut, but she's not someone I was expecting to see in a Batman movie. I am excited for that. Honestly, though, 
I just, I really want a Harley Ivy movie. Why don't we have that? Like, well, wh- Ivy's going to be in Birds of Prey. I know. I just, why couldn't we have that instead of Jared Leto's method performance as the Joker? Ivy, Poison Ivy was actually in Suicide Squad before. Like, she was legitimately one of the members of the team in the comics. <sighs> so back in the Witch's Garden, Hook tells me to get along back to the Jolly Roger because... First, he has to deliver some petals from his flower to a girl in a tower. And Samia's all like, oh man, you and beautiful girls, it always fucks you up, man. Which I take as further evidence that Hook's reputation as a player has been vastly overstated. And in actuality, he is a romantic who gets beat down all the time by his heart. Yeah, I don't... Like... The Playboy thing doesn't particularly work with what Smee said here, but also the thing Smee said here doesn't really, like, he wasn't part of the crew when Mila was part of the crew. Maybe this is, like, just an entirely different backstory for Hook. Or maybe he's just heard stories. Or maybe it happened again. You know, you could just say words. They don't need to be true or anything. (laughs) Fair enough. So, Victoria Belfry goes up to uh, yell at Mother Gothel. She's like, I know you've been working with Ivy. What do you want with her? What does she want from you? She also, like, waves the shoe around as evidence. Smell this shoe. This is the shoe of injustice. Will anyone get a Boston Public reference in the year of our Lord 2019? Um, first of all, no. Second of all, Victoria says... Why is footwear always my undoing? And it's like, well, it's it's not. Footwear solved this for you. If there was no footwear, Ivy would be walking around with dirty feet and you would never know who tracked in the dirt. Mm. Footwear helped you here, Victoria. I know you want to, like, tie it back to Cinderella's shoe, but... Also, how did that screw you over? I mean, I guess it didn't make the situation better, but, like... Well, it, it hooked Jacinda and Henry up, and I assume that will cause problems... For Lady Tremaine later in the flashbacks that we're seeing. What hooked them up was a cart accident. Right, but remember, if she hadn't tossed the shoe aside so that he would pick it up and know to look for her, he would have just gone home through the portal. She could have left a note or something. That's why you (laughs) always leave a note. I mean, I get what she's doing here, but it's kind of a stretch with the established backstory of all of these characters. Yeah, fair enough. So... Victoria wants to know, you know, what Ivy wants. She's also honked off at Mother Gothel for helping her, which is bizarre. I know, right? She's your prisoner. She literally owes you nothing. But this is when Victoria discovers that Ivy is also awake and has been awake the entire time. And it's kind of great because she's like, "Uh, you're a gardener. You know about Ivy. Ivy clings. It needs something to grow off of. And it destroys the thing it grows around. And Mother Gothel's like, Pfft. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not true. Pretty sure Ivy doesn't do that. Also, how bitchy is it of you to be like, Ivy's super needy. That's why I named her this in the alternate universe. Like, <laughs> god damn, Lady Tremaine. I love how Mother Gothel is just no-selling this entire interaction. Like, like... Victoria's like, I'm gonna, she's gonna destroy you, and and I'm gonna destroy you. You're never gonna see the light of day. You're gonna die alone and lonely and alone. And Mother Gothel's just rolling her eyes. 
I mean, she's giving her, like, the same attitude that Lucy did. She's like, okay, haha, this is all gonna get retconned. Like, you, you have no power here. Exactly. You have so many tigers by the tail, and they are so ready to maul you. Back in Ronnie's bar, Regina is looking at the picture of her and Henry, and thinking about how much she loves Henry and wants him to be happy, and how sad she is that she's gonna have to fuck everything up by putting Jacinda off him, which she does, She pulls Jacinda aside and is like, Henry's a great guy and I love him like a mother and no woman will ever live up to me and anyone would be lucky to have him. But you're trying to get custody of your daughter back, so you should probably not be in a new relationship. Yeah, she points out, she's like, I know you're trying to get custody of Lucy back, which is great because Lucy needs to be your priority now. You have this new business, you have a lot of instability in your life. And I love you, I love Henry, you need to put the brakes on this or you're both going to get hurt. Which is honestly not terrible advice. What's really weird here is that this is a completely legitimate reason to not enter into a new relationship. But later on in the episode when Jacinda turns down Henry, instead of just saying that to him, she like lies to him. I don't understand why Jacinda doesn't just say to Henry... Lucy's my priority. I can't be dating anyone till I have custody back. Like, that seems like such an easy sentence to say. And Henry's a good guy. He'll probably not and say that makes total sense. Yeah. She does also bring up the fact that Lucy ran away to find her favorite author and that wouldn't look great. I mean, she's not wrong. It's a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't... It can be twisted really easily from the outside. In the park... Henry and Hook are waiting for Alice to come back with news about where Eloise might be. And Hook gives Henry the fake backstory. I mean, the... Real fake backstory. The cursed backstory of why he's so obsessed with finding this girl. He was drunk as balls when he was supposed to be looking for her and she disappeared forever. Yeah, well, he wasn't even supposed to be looking for her. He was supposed to be patrolling her neighborhood, which is like... That's a real attenuated fault there, Hook. But okay, whatever. Yeah, there, there's a lot of degrees of separation between you and that. Right. But Alice shows up, looks at them just long enough for them to see her, and then like turns and starts running. So they chase after her to the edge of the park where she's like, hey, so I put my feelers out and I found there was a girl who fit the description of your girl you know, poetry, teen angst, etc. Then she got smooshed by a bulldozer, squashed completely flat, but here's one of her paintings so that you know that it was her who got killed. Yeah, she says that the girl is dead, but she gives him a picture that matches a torn out page in his book, in the notebook, in Eloise's notebook. Now, what comes next makes zero sense when I tell you that the tear on the page perfectly matches the tear in his notebook and you can see a little bit of what was drawn on the torn off page and that also matches up perfectly with what was drawn on the page oh yeah i was about to say i just assumed she tore the page out but huh yeah so just know that so that you know how little sense the thing that's about to happen makes But yes, Hook thinks the girl is dead, and Henry's like, oh, this is so awkward. And Hook's like, I think I need to be alone, which is good because no one wants to be around your sulky ass right now. Yeah. So 
He's looking at the picture and the page. And drinking some rum. (gasps) Out of a paper bag. I heard that that's not actually a real thing. It's just one of those very commonly believed things. Well, so in the South, at least, liquor stores are called package stores because they... And they got that name originally because they give you your liquor in, like, unmarked bags. They're called package stores uh, in the Northeast, too. Oh, okay. So, is it just Florida that calls them liquor stores and everyone else is trying to be cute about it? I don't know. Anyway, I grew up in Florida where we called them liquor stores because that's what they sold. And then I, you know, briefly moved up to Alabama where they called them package stores. And I was like, what? What? But yeah, it's because they sell them in like plain brown bags. And if you've ever been to a liquor store and told them you don't need to bag it, like I have a backpack and I'm for the environment, they've almost certainly told you we are required by law to put it in a bag. So that's probably where that started, even though most people probably just toss the bag and don't drink from out of the bag. But, you know, there's that thing where people are like, oh, if the cops can't see that you're drinking the liquor, then it doesn't count as being publicly intoxicated. Do people think it doesn't count? That's ludicrous. I can see people thinking cops won't notice, even though there's nothing more noticeable than drinking something from out of a bag. Seriously. Like, just pour it in a Coke bottle if you're going to drink in public. Yeah. Lazy. I mean, he's a cop, so. (laughs) But Hook is looking at the book and drinking, and then he spills some stuff on the page, which causes the ink on the page to run and this gives hook an epiphany Yes. yes so back in fairy tale land in the past hook has retrieved the flower and the girl in the tower is like dang you know what that makes me horny as hell right she's like i totally did not think you would come back and hook's like i'm just that kind of guy i'm the kind of guy who comes back And the girl is like, well, then we should get it on. And Hook's like, how about we leave the tower first? Because it feels uncomfortably like you can't give fully informed consent while you're imprisoned in a tower. And the girl's like, no time. Bang me now. Yep. Because he's like, he stirs, he's like, you know, the sooner we leave the tower, the sooner I can blah, 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 revenge. And she's like, nope, shut up, pants off. Hook also tells her, I get how I'm going to imprison the Dark One, but how are you going to use the flower to get out of here? And she's like, don't worry about it. Don't Shut up, pants even off. worry. And then they do it. And then they boinked. So we cut from them boinking. You can tell that she's evil because she's super into the idea of sex, I guess. Yeah, she's like into boinking Hook. M- meanwhile... Henry is debriefing Regina, where he's like, so it turns out she's dead, and I guess that's a bad thing for us, although I don't really know how that was supposed to factor into our anti-gentrification plan. You know what's funny? It never made any sense that the missing girl would help them take down Victoria, but it turns out it was exactly what they needed to take down Victoria. Point. So Henry's like, how's Jacinda working out? And she's like, oh, she's a great employee. Hey, You two talk. Yeah. Regina hightails it out of there so that Jacinda can tell Henry that she's not going out with him tonight because she's working a double shift, which is, as I said a few minutes ago, a weird lie to tell. Just tell him that you want to worry about custody of your daughter first and boinking the cute author boy later. Like, just 
say those words. Exactly those words. You're both trapped in the same magical neighborhood. Ghosting him is going to be, at best, awkward and at worst, nigh impossible. Yeah, and and he's not good at picking up hints either. She's like, I can't go to this concert. I'm working a double shift. And he's like, okay, next weekend. And she's like, maybe. I'm working a lot of double shifts. I'll, I'll let you know. I mean, Henry does kind of pick up on it, but... That unnecessarily hurt him when she could have just told him the truth. Seriously. Honesty, contrary to popular belief, is not always the best policy, but it is in a lot of situations and this would be one of them. Yeah, absolutely. At the police station, Weaver is going through the evidence locker specifically to check on his dagger because the Rumpelstiltskin dagger is in the evidence locker of the police station. God. And Hook comes in to... to file some evidence. Because... Hey, it turns out that he's been looking at this book for many, many years, and he spilled a whole bunch of liquid crap on it, and none of it's smeared because of how old the ink is. Which, by the way, I just want to point out seems really bad for something that you're thinking of as evidence, but continue. And when he spilled alcohol on this page, it's smeared. So clearly this is a new fake page, and... You know, Eloise Gardner is still alive. This is planted evidence that was planted by Rumpel's plant. Yes, by Alice. by Alice, who's working for Rumpel. So clearly Rumpel is behind this. Now, first of all, as I pointed out, the page fits in the book. So that's nonsense. And secondly, maybe the reason that page ran when the other pages didn't run is because we've seen the other pages were drawn with ballpoint pen. And this page was clearly drawn with pastels. So, yeah, pastels... Like, an oil-based, you know, paint. What is that? What is that material? Is it... Would you call it a paint? Yeah. Even though it's drawn on with, like, pastel sticks? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's gonna run easier than ballpoint pens. Whatever. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. (laughs) Yeah, Rumpel pretty much immediately folds. He's like, yeah, I did that under uh, Victoria Belfry's orders. You don't know what's going on around here. Uh, Victoria Belfry runs everything, blah, blah, blah. Talk to her, blah, blah, blah. Check out this tower she's got. Yeah, so, okay. Whatever. Rumpel emphasizes, he's like, look, I know you think I'm the bad guy here, but I'm not. There is a fuller story. Go check into Belfry's secret tower. He also tells hook that the girl he's looking for is not the girl he's looking for because rumple knows that eloise is not actually hook's daughter and the reason hook is so obsessed with this case is because he has the memory of looking for his daughter and rumple knows who hook's daughter is and rumple knows who eloise is so this is weirdly another situation where it would have helped to be honest except i don't think hook would have believed him but maybe yeah 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 This would be more helpful if you could demonstrate magic. Yeah, good point. Good point. So Hook is all hot now. Not in the way he's hot in the flashback, the way that he's angry. And he storms over to Belfry Towers so that he can give Jacinda a piece of his mind. Instead, he encounters Ivy, who's like, Hey, I know my mom's done a lot of bad things, but she definitely didn't kidnap anyone, wink. There's definitely not a girl in her secret tower, wink. And Hook says, okay, well, I'm a cop, and I know you have a GPS in your car, so give me the code to your mom's GPS so that I can follow her car in a definitely legal manner, even though I don't have a warrant. So, back in the flashback, Hook and... 
The girl in the tower. Hook and the girl in the tower have just finished having a night of passionate clothes-on sex. Yeah, the girl in the tower is doing the thing that girls always do after sex, where they stand by a window and stare out at it wistfully. Fully dressed with their hair still braided with the flowers that they were braided with last night. Yeah, he didn't muss her hair at all. That's not a good sign. Although, considering what else has happened in the night, maybe this girl is just, like, supernaturally well put together. Point. So Hook's like, huh, that was some good sex we had last night. And she's like, yeah, but now it's over. And there's a baby over there. See? I was like, what is this, The Sims? (laughs) See, it turns out that I'm Mother Gothel. Well, I'm Mother Gothel now, before I was just Gothel. But... (laughs) I'm Mother Gothel, and my old, let's call her, girl. Daughter. She was a daughter. Uh, so I had been keeping a girl in this tower. She escaped and managed to use a piece of my own magic to trap me here. I needed both the flower and someone with my genetics to yeah. leave behind in she, order to escape. She needed someone of her bloodline, and she needed the flower to speed up the pregnancy magically and make the baby appear instantly. And, okay, so when I first saw this, and then she transforms into Mother Gothel, and we see that she is Mother Gothel. When I first saw this, I thought that she had sex with him under fraudulent circumstances, but upon reflection, I don't think she did. I mean, I guess she didn't tell him, I'm just having sex with you so I can... Have a pregnant, have a one night pregnancy so I can escape this tower. I mean, I guess not, but like literally all he knew about her is she was a girl imprisoned in a tower. And that is accurate. She is a girl imprisoned in a tower. Really, the only thing she didn't divulge is that she's evil. But I don't think we can expect people to divulge their alignment before sex. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she actively lied to him at any point in their relationship. Yeah, I think this sex was entirely kosher. So she transforms into her mother into her mother Gothel form and she's like, Yep, I just had sex with you so I could mystically have this baby so I could escape. Later, suck ass. Okay, here's what's weird. Why didn't she just wait for him to be gone before doing this? Because she could have sped up the pregnancy when he was gone and not have him like be all bitchy about it. I guess it doesn't matter. Or maybe she was secretly hoping that what happens would happen. But she tells him that he can have the leftover petal. It's small, but it will still work. And she's going to get out of here. And is he coming with her or not? Which, as I said, she kept her part of the deal 100%. Yeah, and she's like, I'm going to go seek revenge out on Rapunzel for locking my ass up here. You want to join me? I know you like revenge. Come on, like, we can be revenge buddies. I mean, the sex must have been pretty decent because she's, like, ready to partner with him semi-permanently. She's like, let's go do my revenge and then do your revenge. It'll be, like, a revenge doubleheader. Speaking of doubleheaders. Ooh. But he's like, but there's a baby. You can't just leave a baby in a tower. And she's like, I mean... Maybe you can't just leave a baby in a tower. Like, you know my deal with Rapunzel, right? This is basically what I do. Leaving babies in towers. I know. And he's like, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna make sure the baby doesn't die. I feel like that's an important thing I need to do. Make sure the baby doesn't die. And she's like, okay, well, you do you. Nice knowing ya. Later, Tater. Honestly, the more I think about it, the more Mother Gothel has not done... Well, I mean, other than the, like 
kidnapping Rapunzel and then leaving this baby to die thing. Like, neither of those things are good. But as far as her interactions with Hook, she has been nothing but forthright and upstanding. Yeah. So, back in the current times, I guess forward in the current times? Yes. So, in the present times, Hook has tracked Victoria to a weird, decrepit old building as punishment, she as punishment for helping out Ivy, she decided to lock Gothel in a murder basement. I mean, I don't think it was punishment. I think it was to keep her away from Ivy. But uh, does not look good when Hook storms in. He storms in, and Victoria's like, um, "I'm Victoria Belfry. I run this town." And Hook is like, "Ah, but you made the mistake of making me a cop, so now I'm gonna pull a gun on you and handcuff you." I like how she's like, you don't have a warrant. You can't come in here unbidden. And he's like, there's a girl. She, she, I heard the girl, that girl over there in the corner who's yelling for help. And uh, he's, yep. he's like, are you Eloise Gardner? And Mother Gossel's like, yep, sure am. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's how that goes down. Turns out Hook was right somehow, that finding Eloise Gardner would be the thing that took Victoria down. Because now it looks like Victoria Belfry kidnapped a girl 10 years ago and has just been keeping her in this weird murder basement. I mean, to be fair, accurate. That is what happened. You don't have the context of who this person is, but that is what happened. (laughs) So Hook's leading her out and he's like, it's okay, Eloise, you're safe now. And and Mother Gothel's like, thank you, thank you for saving me. And then she just flips Victoria off as uh, he guides her out of the building. Yeah, she's like, ha ha, bitch. <laughs> Look who's gonna be in a tower now. Back in the flashback, Regina is not good at gambling. But I do adore that while she's waiting for Hook to come back, she's just like gambling with the other pirates. The other pirates. Oh, because I'm pretty certain that what happened to Wish vs. Regina is that she became a pirate queen. Yeah. So Hook's like, I got the golden flower. Are, are we doing the whole us teaming up for revenge thing or what's going on there? And Hook's like, nah, I, I had a tower baby and I need to go take care of that now. Yep. He's like, Smee, it's your ship now. So, uh, okay. Bye, I guess. Like, take take her to where she wants to go and, you know, I'm going to go raise my tower baby. And then... Hook is like, I'm so sorry, Regina, but it it looks like this is as far as we journey together. And she's like, I don't really care about that. What? I mean, she is, she does ask him, what what could you possibly care about more than getting revenge on Rumple? And it was a nice final gesture for her to give him that line to go out on so that we could cut to him rocking the baby and singing it a lullaby. It's actually really sweet. I actually, I'm, I'm really into this like father hook. Yeah. I do like that Smee pointed out when Hook's like, I've got a tower baby I need to take care of. Smee's like, but you don't have a baby. I mean, that you know of. You probably have a bunch of babies, but. Well, that was language from before when they were in the garden. Yeah. So. When he was asking Hook how he knew a lullaby, which is an asinine thing to ask someone. I know. Everyone used to be a baby. Hook, while he's rocking this baby to sleep, realizes that he must give her a name. So to the surprise of literally zero people in the audience, he names the baby Alice. After his mother. Yes. I do like that he gives the speech. He's like, there's only one person I ever knew. The one person I ever loved who loved me back. And I was like, Mila? Liam? Liam? I dub the girl Liam. 
Liamma. Liam is Irish for William, so. Wilma. Or Willow. Mm. Balefyra. Did this hook have a relationship with Balefire? He must have, because he's still alive, which meant that he went to Neverland. Although he shouldn't still be alive. He shouldn't still be young when Regina. Okay, let's not, uh, let's not pull on these threads. Let's just, let's just go back to the final scene where Hook is watching Eloise be taken to the hospital and Victoria be taken to jail. And Alice shows up and Hook is like, hey, I know that you just lied to me because Rumple told you to, but maybe don't listen to Rumple." And he literally gets all dad on her and is like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed in you. And Alice is in I, tears. I I must assume both because she knows that Eloise is actually Mother Gothel who's been released. And also because she knows that Hook is her dad. And he like just totally slammed her and took off with Mother Gothel. I do love how much eye contact Mother Gothel is making with Alice in this scene. Yeah. Both of her parents are speeding away in an ambulance. Oh, so sad. Then Ivy shows up and is like, please let me say goodbye to my mother before you lock her away forever. I don't think this is a thing cops actually let you do, even though they let you do it all the time in movie and TV. I mean, they might if the person they're arresting is like rich and white, like Victoria. Point. So they, they literally just leave Ivy and Victoria next to a car that has the keys in it. I mean... Victoria is handcuffed and there are lots of cops surrounding them, so it's fine. But Ivy just gives her a hug and is like, we beat you. Enjoy being in jail forever while we run around and do other things. I'm going to touch all of your stuff. Nah, 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 nah. And of course, Victoria does the obligatory horror movie. Oh my God, you let her out, you idiot. You don't know what you've unleashed. You don't know what you've unleashed. So, yeah, that's where we end it with Victoria. Off to jail. I really like Lucy's scarf. It's got stars on it. So does her sweater. Her scarf matches her sweater. I was going to bring this up in Fashion Corner. Mm. I still am, actually. All right. So uh, we cut to Henry entering the bar to tell them that it turns out that Eloise wasn't flattened by a steamroller. She's still alive. They rescued her. It turns out Victoria was holding her hostage in a murder basement. Yeah, so side note, Victoria probably doesn't get to keep custody of Lucy. And this makes Jacinda very excited. She runs off to pick up Lucy because if Victoria doesn't get to keep custody, she, a woman who's already been declared an unfit mother by the court, obviously will get her. It turns out that her other mother was even less fit. So, you know, everything's relative. But she gets there and it turns out that's not how it works. Actually, a woman from Child Protective Services is there to take her away, which is terrible. It's terrible. Although, to be fair, Lucy does do an awful lot of diving into holes and construction sites. That is accurate. I do like that uh, Ivy makes a point. Ivy is there and she's like, I'm very, she's like, I'm so sorry. I tried to stop this. I told them that you were the right person to be taking care of her. Which, I know it's probably not, but it does come off as pretty sincere. I mean, it does, but I don't think Ivy would want them to be together. If only because as long as Jacinda is working to get custody of Lucy, it will be a distraction from her kissing... Henry. Henry, exactly. Although, honestly, I, I know we still don't know the whole story, but 
if her mom's in jail in some non Hyperion Heights part of Seattle and the curse breaks and she's like, wait a second, you have to let me out because everyone knows that I'm actually Lady Tremaine. That's not going to help her case. Oh my God. I really hope that's what happens now. She just needs to get the case tried in a place that's not, you know, Hyperion Heights. There's an episode of Stargate where, oh, that's too much to talk here. <laughs> There's an episode of Stargate, but it's in season 10. So hang on. I need to explain the world to you up to season 10. But no, I'll just leave it at. Well, then it's not really a Val Duran, is it? Which is to say, Regina would never let this happen because she would only be arrested in a town where for some reason there's no court and she's the only one who decides who's in jail. I really, uh, I know I've said this a lot this episode, but I really like the direction that they're taking, uh, that they've taken Victoria. I know. I mean, we, we've been worrying every episode about cursing it, but here we are, here we are on episode seven and still... Going strong. Everything is still good here in episode seven. You can come back and listen to me ironically talk about how great everything is later when it's terrible. But right now I'm into it. Yeah, there's still a lot to go. I know. I was flipping to see how many episodes there are. There's there's 22 in this season. So, yeah. Again, it also feels like the plot's been moving so much, which is a good thing. But I'm worried that they are going to run out of plot. Yeah, you're worried they don't have enough runway here. Yeah. I would feel so much more comfortable if this was a British or a Netflix season where I knew there were only like 12 or 13 episodes. Yeah. Speaking of, next episode, episode eight, is called Pretty in Blue. And the Netflix description is, A portal takes Henry and Ella to Wonderland, where Ella reveals ties to a twisty past. Hmm. Jacinda resurrects a relationship in a bid to get Lucy back. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Oh, I wonder if Will Scarlet's going to come back. I mean, probably not, but... That would be awesome. I doubt it. I highly, highly doubt it, but that would be awesome. So let's talk about Fashion Corner, because I have, like, a lot of things I want to talk about. Okay, so I really... It's so basic, but it looks so good. I really love the post-reveal Mother Gothel dress. It's it's her dress from the movie. It's the tangled Mother Gothel dress. It just looks so good. It's interesting because unlike, say, Elsa's dress in Frozen, which should never have been a dress in real life unless you're cosplaying Elsa, this dress just looks good. Like, I would wear this dress to a party. It is a good dress that looks good. Yes. Here for it. Also, they did such a good job giving her the Rapunzel dress. Yes. And again... The Rapunzel dress didn't feel like a party city Rapunzel dress, which was a real problem with the last few seasons of Once Upon a Time. It harkened back to earlier costuming where it actually looked like a medieval dress, but calling back to the dress that was in the movie. Yeah, it, well, honestly, it looked like they went to the inspiration for uh, for Rapunzel's design. It looked like they were like, okay, let's just make a waterhouse dress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it. It did look good. And even the hair wasn't terrible. It's just that it can't be as voluminous as it is in the movie in real life without it being a hazard on set. The part where it was a wig looked good. The part where it was a prop did not. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I was speaking of the prop stuff. Definitely. I also liked Ivy's outfit this, this episode, which, as we mentioned, was a black sweater with gold stars on it and then a matching scarf or kerchief. Mm-hmm. which was black silk with little stars on it, which was also great because it matched the way that Regina in this episode was trying to use a kerchief as an ascot to, like, be Regina again. 
and also the hybrid Regina Ronnie outfit, which, God, I wish they did more hybrid clothes in this. Well, I thought the hybrid outfit was so perfect. Like, it didn't look good. It was not an outfit that I would see someone wearing on the street and say, that person looks put together. But it looked like exactly what it was, which was trying to construct a Regina outfit out of a Ronnie closet. It was so spot on. Uh, I do a lot of amalgam stuff for my blog. And yeah. it, it really got me thinking about how much cool stuff you can do if you take two people who have very different tastes and try to create a look out of those two disparate tastes. Yeah, I think it definitely was that. I also really liked Regina's look this episode in the Mirrorverse. Mirrorverse Regina. Which was a maroon dress with really square, sharp shoulders. Hmm. And a thick silver necklace that hung down into her cleavage, because, you know, still Regina. And her hair, her hair, she was wearing, like, down and long. I feel like because this was a Rapunzel episode, they just really were drawing a lot of attention to long, luxurious hair. There was also a thing, uh, the collar? Is that what you'd call? Yeah, it had a... It, suit jackety bit? Yeah, the dress itself had, like, a black collar, yeah. Which... I mean, the whole aesthetic was, uh, I don't want to say this because it sounds negative. I don't mean it in a negative way. It had a very fancy stewardess feel to the jacket. Okay, so I felt like it was a perfect outfit for moving from queen into pirate. Yeah. Like, I know that at this point, maybe the show will come back to it. Maybe not. At this point, we're purely headcanoning. But that is a perfect outfit to be a queen in. And yet somehow, when you get on the ocean... It just shouts, look at me, I'm a lady pirate. So that, I think, is that it for Fashion Corner? I think that's it for Fashion Corner. My recommendation is so, so incredibly basic. What's your recommendation? Is your recommendation to watch the Disney version of Tangled? Because I kind of want to do that right now. Yes. Uh, this episode put me very much in the mood to watch Disney's Tangled. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a totally decent Disney movie. Okay, so so I have two recommendations. One that's real and one that's just... The recommendation is me telling you this story right now. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to a person who was telling me a story that they had heard secondhand. So nobody that I actually know was this terrible person in the story. But the story is, oh, I took my kids to Disneyland and we saw a Rapunzel face character, which is what those princesses who walk around are called, face characters. Mm -hmm. And as you, our listeners, are, I'm sure, aware... The Rapunzel face character at Disney has the long blonde hair, but then braided up so that it only touches the ground the way that Rapunzel wears it when she goes into the city. Mm -hmm. And the little child approaches Rapunzel and says, hey, if your hair got cut and turned brown, how come it's long and blonde again? And the woman playing Rapunzel just didn't know what to say. And she was just like, oh, no, and was so confused. So this is a story that was told to me. And I'm like... Bull fucking shit. Listen, bitch. I grew up in Florida. And let me tell you, those face characters have answers for basic-ass questions that your basic-ass children are going to ask. There is zero chance that you have a child who asked that question and that that girl did not have an answer. And I was so angry that I googled, what does Rapunzel say at Disney World if you ask her what happened to the hair? I actually think I know this. Okay, what do you think she says? Okay, I think that she says... Wait, that... I, wait I just want to know. 
do you think you've heard before what Rapunzel says? Or are you making a guess as to what you could say to a child? I think I've heard before. Okay, go ahead. Uh, that there was enough magic in the flower after her healing tears saved Eugene to make her hair regrow over a short period of time after the wedding. That is correct. That is what she says. So I just, I'm so, I'm so angry at the person who like told this. It, it's like those Facebook stories, right? That we talked about either this week or last week where it's <laughs> like, and then the doctor said, no, your boyfriend was the donor of the heart. He gave you his heart. That's it's, why he wasn't there for the surgery. It's such a stupid story. And I don't, and I'm, I'm personally offended at the story, mostly because I know how hard those face characters work. And I know that they're trained, like, really rigidly to have answers. And so I just got really mad at this woman who I felt like was defaming those poor actors who are doing their best mm -hmm. by making up this bullshit story and i guess now i just want the world to know ask ariel about hercules she'll tell you they're cousins yes hercules will say it too if you can find a hercules they're not very popular you're not gonna find a hercules no but yeah ariel knows that they're cousins <sighs> i don't know why that got me so worked up but that story got me really worked up because it's bullshit i That's was so mad like don't try to make yourself look smart by making up a story about... You know, that's what it is. Well, You're trying to make yourself look smart by making up a story about someone not knowing how to respond to your child. She Well, she's trying to make her kid look smart. I guess, but it's like... It's one of those, my five-year-old knows Mandarin. Shut up, Susan. He doesn't. I thought it was more like those people on Twitter who are like, my five-year-old looked at me and said, Daddy, if the workers own the means of production, then how will I eat? See, even my child knows that capitalism is the answer. Or who is that guy who told that story about his daughter wanting to buy a guitar and she saved all up all of this money to buy the guitar and then they went to the guitar store and she didn't factor in for sales tax so she couldn't buy the guitar and she got really upset and someone's like, so wait a second, you knew that your daughter didn't have enough money when you were going into this store and you let her... Be disappointed because you felt like making a point on the internet. Yeah, I remember that. That was some conservative asshole. But yeah, anyway, my point is all of these stories are lies. No one clapped. But my real recommendation is one that I recommended before, but in previous seasons. So I feel like it doesn't count and I can recommend it again. Mm -hmm. Which is the book The Rumpelstiltskin Problem by uh, Vivian Van de Velde, which is just fun to say. It is fun to say. The Rumpelstiltskin Problem is a series of short stories that try to answer various plot holes in Rumpelstiltskin. And in one of the short stories, Rumpelstiltskin is, in fact, Mother Gothel. So that will do us for this week. So, yeah, then I'll about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maricruz, and Rosa. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us online. It's a good way to help other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or about any television, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, we can also be found at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke.